What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Two years ago, Joey, I was given a really amazing idea. And it came from a, a friend of ours who said, take your kids to breakfast 101 every single week and draw deeper relationships from that. Since then, I've learned about the family boardroom, which we've we've interviewed Jim Shields on our podcast, and he talked about quarterly, like having a half day with them. This past Wednesday, I was with my son, Ryan, who's 10 years old, and we're at one of these breakfasts. And he looks over, and you know the little table promotional items that sit there that tells you about the fancy drinks or desserts or whatever they have? Sure. The top of it said, eye-opening cocktails, right? (laughs) And all the different cocktails you can get going. Well, to a 10-year-old, he doesn't know what that means, but what does he focus in on? Eye-opening. He says, of course. What does that mean, Dad? If a blind person were to drink that, they'd open their eyes, they could see. (laughs) Well, and it's just funny, right? Just because his thinking of it, seeing it, and just going from what his knowledge base is, applying it. Today, we're going to dig into about the differences between the base premium and a Dividend paying whole life insurance policies versus the PUA. Now that sounds super boring. The PUA. What's the PUA, by the way? That sounds like a snoozer. Yeah. The paid up additions rider. Okay. But this may be one of the most interesting podcasts you'll listen to when it gets into a technical subject like this, because we talk about the timing of how all of this works together in your your path to becoming financially free. And the reason I bring up the Ryan story is because I think we come with a certain understanding and a certain perspective and we apply it immediately. And today we try to break down some of those maybe unknowns or myths or mistakes that people have in their mind. Would you agree? Totally, totally. And I think that that's the, the key of today is that you will be challenged, Right. You may think that you 100% know why you started Infinite Banking. You may feel really confident about the way that you were set up your first policy. And today is a healthy challenge to that. It's a healthy way to say, what did you actually buy? Like whenever you set this policy up or this system up for you and your family, what were the components of it? And to be honest, I think a lot of times we unknowingly set it up just the way that the person who was across the the table from us thought that was the best. You and I actually share some of the ways that we set up policies in the past that really were just based on our very limited understanding of this process. So we talk about what is it that you're buying? We talk about what are the timing considerations, like good or bad on how you would design the system. And then lastly, what is your end game? And, I, and I'm just praying that this is a challenge 
that will help you to make wise choices going forward. And uh, it also, in my mind, accentuates the community that you keep, right? The people that you're around, are they helping you to get better at this game of investing? And we know IBC is such a critical part of this whole journey to financial freedom. You got to be in the right room. So this inner circle was on fire today, right? The people after the fact, the questions and the the office hours, as we call them, were lit up with tons of good questions and tons of people, literally their mindsets being changed. And so I want to call you to be a part of that. Like get on a call with one of our coaches, wealth.wallstreet.com forward slash free call and see if you can be a part of one of our masterminds as well. All right. I love it. Let's pull our chairs up to the table. Joey, you know what time it is. Time to belly up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can more easily understand them and more importantly, take action on your path to becoming financially free. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Grateful to have you in the room. I'm Russ Morgan. They call me the idea guy. What's because bad internet guy? Didn't sound so cool. But enough about me for a second. Let me introduce you to my co-host, my partner. He's the Italian stallion. He's got the license plate cover to prove it. Mr. Joe Murray. Stallion. Good afternoon. My brother. So good to be here. And man, I'll tell you what, I'm all about that base and I'm grateful that we get to talk about it uh, in person here. This is so good. What does that even mean all about that base? Because I think there's some people out there, their brains are going in a lot of different directions and probably not <laughs> what, we're, what we're going to go after. Well, I'm not Megan Trainer, in case you're wondering. Um, and so we're going to get into this. I think that it's important for us to talk about this. This is about how your infinite banking system is designed. Fundamentally, what do we believe is going to help the people that are following us to understand what they're actually doing? And more importantly, clear up the just garbage that is out there on the internet, right? The way that your policy and your system is created makes a difference and uh the base is super important so we're gonna get into a lot more details than that but that's why it's important we talk about today totally totally well and i if you're listening to our podcast for the very first time and it's because somebody said hey you need to listen to this specific one because you're interested in doing the infinite banking concept and these guys know what they're talking about welcome Grateful to have you in the room. All right, Joey, we decided not to do this podcast alone. We decided to bring in the Mr. Incredible, right? I mean, it's it's just no other way. Mr. Incredible, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this guy has a superpower, and that superpower is speed to financial freedom. And the real beauty of that speed is it's contagious. My man, Mr. J.D. Hill, say hello to your fans, J.D. 
Hey fans. Hey, great recovery, by the way. That was great. Uh, you recovered real well with that one. That was really good. Hey, I, I just make up stuff as I go along, man. I'm just trying to figure out. I don't look at that. You know, I used to have to read it. Now I don't read it. I just, I, I'm just ready. Yeah. Thank you for, for, for waving at us today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, 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 the chat's waving back and I'm, I'm grateful for it. So, so thank y'all. Hey, tell me, JD, why is it important for us to be covering this conversation about, I'm all about that base? Russ, do you have an unlimited amount of money? Uh, no, I have a very limited amount of money. Yeah, that's right. We all have a finite amount of money. And it pains me that when I have to talk to people who've already bought IBC and what they really bought was IBS. Oh, <laughs> right. Yes. And, and so as, as IBC is becoming more and more mainstream because of online marketing and YouTube and all the things that are out there, there are so many jokers out there that are over sensationalizing IBC to make it something that it isn't. And so I'm excited to talk about this, so that we can actually help people teach their, teach the people that are helping them, right? How to do it the right way. Mm. So why do you good. think it is Russ? Why, why is this important to you? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons as you start thinking about this from a, a long range perspective, right? You, you have to take into account that when we're designing a system of infinite banking, that we should not be just looking at it for ourselves in the very short run. And that means that we have to, we have to factor in what's going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now. In our passive income mastermind, we talk about a hundred year plan, right? And I realize not all of us are there. We're we're trying our best to figure out what's the the thing that's going to get us to the next mark over the next, you know, 30 to 90 days. But our our mentor, Nelson Nash, he would always take us back because he was a forester and he'd say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And as a forestry consultant, what did he do? He spent his time talking to farmers who were planting trees, who were harvesting trees, and were trying to find a way to improve it because that was their business, right? Unfortunately, whenever I started my infinite banking system back in 2009, people really didn't educate me on the conversation we're going to have today. I didn't know because there was no mentors in the space. There was no podcast of people talking about how to design the system and, and all the different ways in which you can use it that we've been doing for the last, you know, seven years now. So I made the mistake of not making the base premium on the life insurance policy, which I'm going to ask you, JD, in a second to really define that for us. But I didn't have that that ongoing amount that the part that I could put in for the rest of my life big enough. And as my cash flow grew, as my incomes grew, both active and passive, I didn't have a place to take those cash flows to for those existing policies. I had to keep planting new trees, which planting new trees is good and we need to do that. But man, it's really nice to be able to put cash in those ones that are five years old. Now I've got policies that are, you know, going on 14 years old. I see a lot more fruit out of those trees, right? You know how, uh, you know, a fruit tree, they say it takes two, three, four years before it actually starts bearing true fruit. And you actually should be pruning it back and not taking it so that it'll spend more time uh, developing the root system. Have you guys heard that? I heard yes. it today. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think that I made the mistake of trying to get the fruit off the tree as quick as I could in those first couple of years. And I had some policies that just 
were a little top heavy. Did, didn't have that base. And that's mm. what it's about today. Mm. All right. So Stallion, in order for us to break this down, I think we got to take it in three different areas. We're gonna, we need to talk about why am I buying this process? What What goes into that? What are the timing considerations I need to consider through this? And then ultimately, what's the end game? So first, before we get there, Jada, I need you to help me understand what are we even talking about? Because if I'm listening to this podcast for the first time, I may not even understand what base is, what PUA is, some of these terms that we're throwing out there. Can you help break that down for me? And even maybe if you would, come on, for those people who are watching both live and on YouTube, actually visually see it. That'd be amazing. Mm, like this right here. Like that. Look at this there. guy. Hey, so let me let me break this down. Okay. And 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 I actually walk everyone that I work with personally through this uh, during our meeting process because I think it's really important, uh, even if you're more conceptual, that you understand the mechanics behind the scenes on what levers are supposed to to do what based on the contract. So there are essentially two uh, primary levers or two premiums inside of a whole life policy. You have what is known as the base premium. And you have what is known as the PUA premium. Now, what does PUA mean? It means paid up additions. So going forward, I'm just going to say PUA, if that's okay. So consider the following. Let's say that you said, hey, JD, I can save $10,000 a year. That is my savings goal. Well, part of that $10,000 is going to be base. And part of that $10,000 is going to make up the PUA or paid up additions. So when you add those two things together, it's going to equal 10,000 bucks. We good so far? I'm with you. All right. So let's isolate this for a second then. So when you think about the base premium, here's what I want you to think about. Think about this as being the minimum required contribution that's necessary to keep your system open. Okay. The next thing is that this is by and large designed for the long term. Said another way, when most people think of just whole life insurance, they think of this really bland vanilla asset, right? That nothing really materializes until 30, 40, 50 years down the road. And that's by and large because it's designed with all base premiums. Doesn't make it good, doesn't make it bad. It just makes it what it is. Okay. Well, the reason why it's designed for the long term is because the base premium is really what designs or rather what largely determines the size of the death benefit that you're buying. So the bigger the base, the bigger the death benefit. It's going to become really important here in a second. This is also where most of the expenses come out of. Expenses are overhead, underwriting, guarantees, right? Because you're buying a contract with guarantees. It's got compensation, like all that is driven by the base premium. Wait, wait a second. Is is that why we're all about the base? Because uh, the commissions come from the base? No, no. Unfortunately, it's just part of what it is, right? That's not why we're all about the base. I'm going to explain here in a second when I tie it all together, why we're all about the base. But if you don't understand what it is, you're not going to understand why we're all about it. Okay. All right. We're good. <laughs> the, the last thing, and, and here's the here, here's something that's really neat, is that this is the primary driver of the non-guaranteed dividends that are paid or issued into your contract. So the PUA, think about this as being an optional 
or extra contribution that you're choosing to put in above and beyond the base. It is not required. So let's go back over here to our, our little example. Say your base premium in this example is $4,000 a year and your PUA premium is $6,000 a year. Joey, based on what I just described to you, what's the minimum amount you're required to fund your policy with every single year? 4,000. That's it. Yep. Russell, what's the maximum though that you can put into your, your, your system every year? 10,000. 10,000. Does that also mean that you can put an eight or seven or six? Yes. 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 You can put in any variation between 4,000 all the way up to 10,000 because that PUA is an optional or flexible contribution. It is not required. Well, why do we use it then? We use it by and large for the short term. Think about this as being kind of like rocket fuel. So for all you flat earthers out there, this isn't going to make sense to you, <laughs> right? But, but so, so a rocket uses some 90% of its fuel just to get out of the earth's atmosphere. And then it's the most efficient on the remainder of the fuel. So it's just a burst, right? It's just a quick burst just to get it moving. Mm -hmm. So we use the PUA in the short term to immediately increase your cash values, which this is really what creates that liquidity that you can use day one. Something else it does is it also increases your death benefit, which is really important. I'll explain here in a second. There are very minimal expenses that come out of the PUAs, and this helps to enhance your dividends. We good so far? Give me a thumbs up in the chat if we're good so far. All right, perfect. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. So let's talk then about this death benefit piece. Whole life insurance, unlike universal life insurance, is designed to endow or mature at age 121. What that means is that your cash value is contractually designed to equal your death benefit at age 121. So Joey, if you live to 121, the insurance company will write you a check for the death benefit. You won. Congratulations. Yes. Universal life insurance does not endow. It never matures. It just keeps going. So do your insurance costs. Okay. Mm. So what happens in whole life is as your cash value starts down here and does this over time, your death benefit looks kind of like this over time to where they converge at 121. Well, when we add in PUAs, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shoot that death benefit off that course and make it grow faster, which means your cash values, don't worry, I can bring it back, right? They have to get off track too in order to converge at 121. So here's the question. Y'all put the answer in the chat. If you want the most amount of cash value possible, you have to have the biggest what possible? Death benefit. You have to have the biggest death benefit. It's the only way it works. If the cash value is set to equal the death benefit, you have to have the biggest death benefit possible in order to have the most amount of cash. Period. It All doesn't right, so, work any that other doesn't, way. That doesn't make any sense to me, JD. Why, why wouldn't I just get a 100% base contract if it's mostly death benefit anyway? Plus, well, because plus you get paid the most. <laughs> I do get paid the most. But here's why. Because the base by itself is designed for the long term. I want the PUAs to give me that immediate liquidity today. I want cash. I'm an investor. I'm a real estate investor. I need cash. I can't wait 10 years for cash to show up. I need cash today. Well, so these well, two talk things. About this. Talk about this. Like you've experienced this when people had the option 
before you understood what you understand today, you sold yeah. life insurance, right? I did. And how did you sell it? A hundred percent base. Okay. My first policy I bought was a hundred percent base because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. But how big of a check were you willing to write when it was a hundred percent base versus now <laughs> when you use a PUA? About a hundred bucks a month. Right. My first policy that that's what, that's what I did. It was a hundred bucks a month. The first one I ever did. And, and now I'm putting in multiple six figures into my system. And that's all happened over the last two years, two or three years. So, so the, what I'm pointing out, I guess, and, and was that just you or was that your clients also? Cause I know you were broke back then, but I'm saying your clients that had money, were they doing $150 a month? What were they up to? They were doing about what I was doing, about 100 to 200 a month, right? My average back in the day when I worked for, you know, the big box firm that doesn't teach neither here nor there, right? My average was about $2,400 a year. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. It's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system. Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. So you're saying if, if I was a client at Fourth Semester Mutual. That's right. I might consider a much smaller policy. Y you would. You would immediately go to a much smaller system. That's right. Well, what I'm, I'm, you know, of course joking a little bit, but the basic thing that you're pointing out is we're talking about fundamental design, but fundamental design is dictated by human behavior. That's right. Human behavior cannot. So sometimes people come to us or to other practitioners and they say, you know what? I need all the cash that I can possibly get because I, I can't, I'm not saving much any, anywhere else. And they say, what's the lowest amount I have to put into this? And the issue is, is because human behavior is dictating what they're wanting to do. In your case, if it's a hundred percent base and they have no access to capital for years, they're, they're naturally not going to put as much as they could into that contract because they can't afford to be without cash for three, four, five, however many years a full base contract would, would limit their access to capital. That's right. Right? So I'm pointing out why we would be proponents of having an, some PUA and not 100% PUA or 90% PUA, there's, there's a seesaw. You want to talk about that a little bit? Like the, the, the difference between the two, like, or a seesaw coordination there? Um, what do you mean specifically? Between, hey, between the base and the PUA, like, why ahead, would you Russ. have different percentages? Well, if, it, if I could jump in there, right? I, 
I, I've been quiet for way too long. But you this have. Is, We've missed I you. I don't know what happened. What? what he happened can't. He can't stand it. Here's the thing: there is a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. That's right. Right. There are no deals in life insurance. There are only trade-offs. Mm. Say right? it again. Say it again. There are no deals in life insurance. There are only trade-offs. And one of one of our inner circle members asked just a second ago, well, why don't, if we want all this liquidity, why don't we put 90% of the money into the PUA and only 10% to the base? So we're going to answer that in just one second. But knowing that if I do one thing, it's going to have a trade-off of another thing, right? You mentioned a second ago, JD, that the base supports what part of the contract? Well, a couple of things, the death benefit and the dividends. Yeah, more, more specifically, I was going after was the death benefit, the right? Death benefit, yeah. The, the majority of the death benefit is supported by the base. And you said the cash value must grow to equal the what? The page cash, 121? The death benefit. The death benefit. So if the majority of the contract that the determines the death benefit is the base, if I make it small, what will my death benefit be? Small. small so my cash small. value... It, will grow to be small, small. Okay. Yes. So that's just from a logical standpoint, but to the point is that if I went a hundred percent on that end of the seesaw, and I don't think our, our partner Joey has ever been on a seesaw because he didn't really understand what we were talking about. It's like that seesaw mechanism thing or jigger that you hey, were talking about. I, I'm, I've been around some seesaws. Okay. <laughs> So Joey's sitting on the seesaw by himself, wondering where everybody else on the playground is, right? <laughs> and so if he's sitting over there on the on the seesaw on a hundred percent base, he ain't having any fun, is he? No, right? there's no, no fun because he has nothing he can do at that point. So why do we not put all of it there? Because we don't have access to the cash. But we all know this. Well, not all of us, but the one of us who, who who've ever taken the time to run insurance illustrations we know that the one that you put uh, all the base on if you just did that and looked at it 50 60 years down the road would actually have the most cash because ultimately speaking you can put more cash in it right the insurance contract is going to return at the same level it's not necessarily getting any better but what's happening is i can get more money through it that way but i can't get access to it and we're also dealing with human behavior and with human behavior, we know that there's a limit to what we're willing to do based upon the result we're going to get. So to your point, when you first started doing this, JD, you are only putting in $100 a month. Your clients were putting $100 or $200 a month in. And it was a direct relationship to what they thought they were getting, right? I'm getting sure. a death benefit, which I want for my family, but I don't want it so bad I'm going to put a lot of money in it, That's right? right? As compared to now... Our, our company, 50,000, 60,000 is an average contract for somebody putting in every single year. Well, why is that? Well, because now they're looking for liquidity. They're looking to get the access to the money so they can do other things. So we do have to balance this, you know, paid up rider, paid up additions rider versus the base. And I'm going to tell you an example. I remember we, we had a guy named Mark who, that I was working with one time. And he came to me and he he had been doing what he thought was infinite banking. <laughs> Unfortunately, he had bought a life insurance policy, two life insurance policies to be specific, 
that were not infinite banking. They were indexed universal life insurance policies. Not trying to say good or bad, but they're not infinite banking because as you were saying a second ago, JD, there is no guarantee to the death benefit. There's no guarantee to what he's going to be able to put in, nor is there a guarantee to what it's going to be worth because it's all based upon the volatility of those underlining movable items. And when he realized that, man, I want to start investing in real estate and business and things like that. I want to make sure that whenever I do that, that my cash is going to constantly be there and it's going to be able to grow. Not that maybe one year in the market is not as what I wanted it to be. And I end up having less money the next year because of that fact. And so we said, okay, well, what, what do you want to do? He said, can I take this cash that I've built up in these two life insurance policies and move it over into a whole life policy? I said, you can, it, you know, in the real estate game, it's the, a 1031, but in the life insurance space, it's called a 1035. He said, well, can I just move it all at once? I said, well, we can look at it. Well, in order for him to be able to move all of that money and then continue to put cash in it going forward, we could only get about 10% of his future premium to be PUA because at 1035, all of that existing cash he was putting in there took up the room. And I said, well, so here's the example. We, we can do one of two things. We can move it all over. And you can have it immediately available, access to 100% of that cash, and you can put in this $40,000 a year, and 10% of uh, that money is going to go to the PUA, and the other 90% is going to go to the base. And next year, the same thing, the next year, the same thing. But we could put in that $40,000 a year for the rest of your life. And he was like, oh, okay, well, what's my other option? I said, the other option is you just surrender your contracts with the insurance company that you're with. And we start over and we take that cash and put it here. He's like, okay, what does that look like? I was like, well, we're going to take this 200000 that you have in cash value. We're going to have to start these PUAs and we're going to have access to about mm, 170000 of that two hundred. And then we could get your 40000 and we can make it more uh, a blend. And he's like, well, how much money can I put in for the rest of my life? And I was like, well, depends on the blend. It'll be based upon whatever the base is. So it'll ultimately be somewhere between 15 to 20,000. He's like, well, I don't like that. I want to be able to put 40 grand in for the rest of my life. And I don't like giving up access to this cash on the front end. So in that example, we set, a, set up the best system for him was not going 90% to PUA, in his example, we actually put 90% to the base. So there are situations, I think what we need to understand is when we're setting up this first step, we're talking about what am I buying? You have to understand what your situation is and assuming that there is a one size fits all. Because Joey, how many times would people come up to Nelson Nash and his uh, seminars and say, Nelson, what should my percentage be? How much should I be putting to the base? And how much should I be putting into PUA? And what was his typical response? I'm still waiting on him to answer that as a direct question. He never would. He never would. He'd always ask a question. And he, he usually it was around banking. Usually it was around, well, how much money does a bank need to operate or how much money? And that, this is the point that I would like to make. And when we're talking about base premium, base premium is really the lifeblood of banking. And I learned that from Nelson. To your point, Russ, 
your ability to earn and your ability to save is only on an increase over the majority of your life. And so if today I make a decision to limit the amount of money that I can put into a system that is based around savings and, you know, growth of that savings, what I am, I am literally saying, I don't want money to grow. I want the least amount that I can use for future endeavors for investing. But what bank operates like that? Right. A bank is constantly looking for depositors money. If they limit, if they put a governor on that, they know that they're putting a governor on what they can earn on the other side. Well, well to, to your point, in order for a bank to get its charter, it has to have so much in capital reserves. Right. It, it's a direct relationship to how much they can lend based upon those reserves. Well, right. we know that banks make money through lending. Right. In order to lend, then they have to build capital reserves. Same thing with insurance companies. Right. There is a limit to how much life insurance they can sell as a direct relationship to those reserves. I want to I want to move on from this point. I know we're, we, we're talking about what am I buying? And, and and this is a question mark. Right. We We talk about infinite banking. We talk about it's a process. It's not a product. It is not the end investment. It should be a place for your cash. To, to reside prior to going and buying assets that produce passive income. And, and that is the objective, right? But understanding underneath what's going on. So, you know, you, you'll hear us sometimes talk about the way that we've designed insurance policies to allow for more cash up front. And I don't want you to say, well, wait a second, they did this podcast on all about that base. Is that a contradiction? And the answer is no, but we want to give you both sides of the equation. Once you understand what's going on. If I had all the money in the world, I would have a hundred percent base contract. I can just tell you that, right? But we don't we don't live in that environment. We don't live with all the money in the world. We we have access to what we have now. And in order for us to grow it, we need liquidity. And so that's why we design insurance contracts to allow for liquidity, but still understanding the trade-offs. So the second thing I think we need to talk about in this podcast is the timing considerations, because that also should determine what percentage are we putting toward the base and what percentage are we doing toward the PUA. JD, talk to me a little bit, because you you have an example that you were telling us the other day about a guy who's having a windfall situation, and that obviously determined how you had the policy design and his ability to do it. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, two, two different exa- examples from two different ends of the spectrum. So let me let me tell you about the first person. Uh, I'll call him Steve. Working with Steve, he's been doing IBC for ten years. So he's a he's a, a transplant, right? So he's coming to us from another IBC uh, air quote here practitioner, <laughs> and he's been doing it for ten years. So so this year his PUAs are dropping off, and he's going down to just the base. He was funding almost forty thousand dollars a year in total premiums prior to that joey how much do you think he was able to fund going forward once his puas got dropped off i don't know a very small amount about four grand a year yeah ten percent so so now he's he's 10 years later used to funding 40 grand a year and now he's he's literally handcuffed only being able to put in four grand a year because he had a 90 10. And it doesn't move the needle now on his ability to grow his banking system. Like, like how much, how much progress can you make only saving four grand a year right now? 
Well, let me, I'm going to dive into that. So we talk a little bit about this being a substitute for your cash, right? That's right. Now we, we're in a unusual environment for the last 25 years where you can actually earn a little bit of interest at the bank on, on uh, savings, right? That's but right. That, we've been stuck at zero for roughly 20 years up until the last six months. And we talk about these insurance policies earning two, three, four, five percent somewhere in there. And it depends on the time, right? Well, if if you're if you have a hundred thousand dollars coming at you a year excess over and above what you spend, one congratulations, good for you for living below your means. But if your option is okay, I can take four grand of that and stick it in this account that's earning two, three, four, five percent. But the other ninety six thousand, I guess my only option is to go stick it into this checking account, which typically is only earning zero, right? So imagine if you could reverse that polarity, what the long-term implications of that, plus all cash flows for the rest of your life, how does that help you get closer to financial freedom by utilizing a tool that's more efficient? Keep going. Sorry about that. No, it's, and I love that. Well, and, and to take it a step further, so he's looking at now expanding his system, but as he should, but he's looking at doing it on his kids and not on himself because the other practitioner communicated to him that it's inefficient for somebody in their 50s to take out a new banking system on themselves. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Well, we're going into underwriting for $50,000 a year of new premiums on him. He wouldn't be able to do that on his kids, right? Because right? you're limited on what you can do. My point in sharing all of this is when you understand the mechanics of what's happening, you can better serve right? The people that are wanting to implement banking into their, into their lives. So, so, so that's on one side. On the other side, I want to talk about a personal client that I helped putting in a, uh, a million dollars a year. We designed it in such a way, right? That he put in a large lump sum in the beginning and then his contribution went down to, to, to half a million now going forward. Well, because of the way that we bought it, he came into a windfall, wasn't really expecting it, kind of thought it might happen, didn't really know. But because of the way that we designed it, he was able to take an extra million dollars and put it into that existing system without violating the MET guidelines, the Modified Endowment Contract Guidelines, without turning it into a taxable events, right? And, and not having to start a brand new system all over again. He was able to put it right where it needed to be in his existing system that we set up the right way the first time. And as you're listening to this, if you're not an experienced person within this, every time you start a new life insurance policy, you have to go through the startup phase. If you run a business, you know what that first couple of years looks like in your business, right? You're, you're exerting a lot of energy, putting a lot of money in and not expecting it to come out, right? If you start taking money out of the business early on, you know what happens, right? That thing nosedives. And so life insurance policies are really just little businesses that are being created every time you start a new one. We all want to start businesses. We all want to get them going, we want to have lots of them so we can sell them down the road. But the reality is, is that if we have an existing one, that's the one that's kicking out cash flow. So what JD just said is that the fact that he didn't have to go back and start another new business meant that he had more of the money available to him because he's putting into something that was a little more mature. All right, Stallion, tell me what are some other timing considerations that we need to think about? Well, I'll just I'll share with you more from a personal standpoint, but also many clients that we've worked with over the years. If you're building a system today 
uh, as JD kind of sh shared with you the seesaw earlier, where you've got 90% going to this PUA because you just need all the cash you can, and you're not thinking about the long term, or you're assuming that, oh, I can always expand later if this PUA now drops off and I can only put this $4,000 a year into my system, then you're wrong, okay? Or you might be wrong, I should say, because your health is not a guarantee. I'm sitting right now, uh, after my first few policies were issued, my health took a nosedive and I was able to take, uh, I have ulcerative colitis. And because of that, I am now severely, um, I guess, what would be the word rated as it relates to insurance policies. And there's a point coming where I may not be able to get a policy on myself at all because of the, the nature of my health. There's other people that have had a, an unexpected heart attack or a stroke or something along those lines that has now limited their ability or gotten diabetes as an adult. These things are not unheard of. And so for you to be able to expand your system down the road is not always a guarantee. And so when you limit that base today, you're also limiting that future ability to, again, build your banking function into your life. And I think that's something you have to consider. But let me add a little more clarity to what Joey just said there, in case you don't understand the, the context to that. And, and, I'm, and it's following up on a point that JD made. Joey said, my health rating, my health had gone down unexpectedly. I don't know. Does everybody expect their health to go bad? I, I don't know. But unexpectedly. Right? I did not expect it, if, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> and so he was potentially, if it continued to worsen to a point where he was uninsurable, then he would then only be able to insure, typically in his household, his family, right? Well, he's got five kids. JD, you said a second ago, the guy was being told by his life insurance agents, you should want to insure your kids because they're more efficient, right? What the guy was saying is that the life insurance on someone who's 10 years old is less than what it's on a 50-year-old. Well, yeah, that totally makes sense. The difference is, is that the 10-year-old in the insurance company's eyes is not insurable for $50 million of death benefit. And that's right. Because it's a growing the cash to the death benefit by age 121, they have a lot longer ways to go. So that death benefit is going to be a lot higher for the same amount of money for a really younger person. So to Joey's point, if Joey was uninsurable and his only option was to insure kids, he's going to only be able to put in a limited amount of money because the insurance company is only going to insure them for a certain amount of death benefit. Well, then what would you do with all the extra cash that you had? If you didn't have the option to put it into a whole life policy to build cash value, you would be subject to all the other things that we've always done up until this point, which we've all now started to learn are less efficient than this. Okay, let's talk about the end game. Because the end game is really, I think, important to us as we start talking about what is the objective of building this system to start off with. Isn't it to turn active income into passive income? Nelson Nash used to talk about building up cash values to a point at passive income time that he would be able to take bigger checks against the life insurance policy to be able to fund 
his distributions, his lifestyle long after he was working actively. Now, Nelson, if you knew Nelson, he worked all the way up there to the end. He, he never wanted to stop working. That was just his passion. He was one of the few people whose active income was his passion income. But I think people don't understand that if the end game is to build as much cash, to be able to utilize it, to buy as many assets that produce passive income, but also it creates this big chunk of money down the road. Because as we get older, we will start, we'll get to a point of, okay, um, getting rid of things, right? Some of these uh, second homes that we have, the 14th vacation you've gone on for the year, you're, you're going to get to a point where you may not do that as much. Well, then do you start having less money? No, you end up having more money. And so you're trying to figure out where am I going to put it? So you start replenishing all those loans that you have uh, out there against your life insurance system. What is that going to do if you don't have the ability to put it in there? Because at that point in time, if you have not set up your system to be able to hold cash at a high level, now where are you having to put it? You're right back at the point of putting it into accounts that are less efficient. Joey, what yeah. in your eyes, what is the end game? Well, he, here's the, the thing that I want to make really clear. What I think the end game is and what you think your end game is are really two very different things potentially. For me to assume that we have the same one would be naive. And what I would, I would call you to is, let's say you've been thinking about infinite banking. You've heard about it. It seems like a cool idea. It seems like a different idea. You're just kind of in this kind of gathering phase and you want to do it because it's a, it's a strategy to, to, to make money work for you. That's all well and good. But the bigger thing to me is don't just buy a life insurance policy because of that. It needs to be a part of an overall vision that you have for your life. And to be honest, many of the people that we help, it becomes a vision, not for just their life, but their generations to come. And so I want to call you to meet with one of our coaches, right? Go to wealth.wallstreet.com forward slash free call and start with your own vision, right? They'll put you through the passport challenge and allow you to dream about what is really possible. And infinite banking is one cog in that wheel, right? It's the, once that vision is clear, it, it will inform you as to how you should set up your policy and set up your system of policies over your lifetime that then will create passive income and then generational wealth to hand down. I just think it's, it's super short-sighted to do infinite banking because it sounds like a cool idea. It has to be a part of a bigger vision. And that's why we built out this process to help you get there. JD, what's your thought? What's, what's the end game here? Um, well, it's a great question because you're talking about the end, not the beginning, right? And everybody knows it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish that matters. And, and I think there's so many jokers out there that focus so much on the first handful of years of IBC that, that they completely hurt the client down the road, mm. all in an effort to, to make it something that it isn't. Let me give, let me, here's what I mean. <clears throat> if, if you do 90-10 versus 60-40 or 70-30 or any other variation, 50-50, doesn't matter. And let's say in 10 years, same contribution, 50 going in one and 50 going in the other, but the, 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 the split is different. 
you may have 10 or 15 or 20 grand more in the 90, 10 and 10 years. That doesn't move the needle for me. But the moment those PUAs come off and now you're putting in five grand a year, but I'm putting in 25 grand a year, who's your daddy? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, seriously, I'm able to put in more. Like I'm able to put in more, so I should have more. Like, why are we so concerned about putting in more? That's the goal is to put in more. Why would you ever want a business that now all of a sudden you have to stop 90% of your customers from coming in? Like who would do that? Nelson said, don't be afraid to capitalize. One mm. of the rules of IBC, right? That's right? And I think that the what you're saying is the design in which you lead off with either exposes your your ability to capitalize or it it points out that you're really afraid to that's right well here's the thing that the the point of this podcast is to give you maybe a contrarian viewpoint on ibc than we talk about a lot and most of the people out there talking about ibc talk about right i think people get so scared to talk about the base premium and the death benefit because man this isn't about all of that and I, I understand where they're coming from. I'm not saying that they're saying something bad. I think they're just leaving out some other things, right? It's important to understand what you're doing so you can make informed decisions. There's sometimes you've, maybe you made a decision already to start an insurance policy that had 90% of it going to the paid up additions rider and only 10% of it was going to the base. And maybe that was the right thing for you that day. And as you listen to this podcast and you start to understand more about how these things work, you go, oops, ah, maybe we go back and do it differently if I could, right? Like I would go back and do a lot of things differently if I could, but I'm here because this is exactly where God had me. All the events through to this point have given me experiences and understanding. What we're trying to do is just share with you that it's not just one way, that there are reasons why you would do it differently and adjust and know that your situation won't be exactly like your buddy. So I think that's a problem that exists out there too, guys, is that one person gets their life insurance policy set up one way, no matter whatever the way is, and they're telling their buddy about it. And the buddy doesn't go with that same group, goes with another group, and they start comparing the percentages, assuming that there should be exactly the same. There's not a one way. You go into Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, you will see three or four different ways that he set up the insurance policies. And he specifically did that to prove to you that they all work and it's all relative to the situation in which you're in. As Joey said, if this is a question mark for you and you're trying to figure out more about it and you wanna to talk to somebody who has a lot of expertise in this, that is doing it personally within their life and could help you determine if this is the right next thing for you, Go to whatthewildwallstreet.com forward slash free call. And one of our coaches will be grateful to jump on and walk that through. Stallion, final, final thought. My final thought is, is, man, this is, we've talked about some really granular things today, like details of an insurance contract that you probably just didn't wake up really excited to hear about, right? These are not super sexy things to talk about. But what I want to call you to is the much bigger, grander vision of what this all leads to and um, call you to take action. Ultimately, it's just information if you don't take action. 
And uh, yeah, I hope that this becomes a, a part of how you understand your banking system and how you will you know, continue to grow it for generations. JD, final thought. Yeah, I know I can be a bit provocative uh, in my speech uh, <laughs> and, and, and that is done intentionally, right? Sometimes, uh, but here's the deal, Russ. I think you actually, um, you, you, you did a very good job articulating this earlier when you said that there are no deals in the insurance game, only trade-offs. And I think that is something that we don't talk about enough. There are no deals. There's only trade-offs. On one side, you're trading one thing for something else that you're trading and giving up. But you're not gaining anything necessarily because there's no deals in the insurance game. And, and so once you have a more broader understanding, a bigger macro perspective, then you can take it down to the micro perspective and start really getting more granular to how we should actually put things together based on, like Joey said, your particular situation. We did a podcast recently on our insurance company's anti-IBC. And I think the one thing we missed while talking about that was in the, what did what were these insurance policies created to do and designed to do? Well, the insurance companies created them all, right? Like every little mechanic within these insurance policies were created by them. And that's an obvious fact, but is one that we missed in our discussion point. But also a point we missed in that discussion is the fact that IBC is not taught by insurance companies at all. No insurance company teaches you about how to utilize this in a strategy that puts you in a place where you can utilize the cash to buy assets, to produce passive income that will exceed your monthly expenses so that you can live on your terms and do the things that you want to do. All of that was developed outside of that world, which I'm grateful for. Got to, met the, got to meet the man himself and spend a lot of time with him. He wrote the book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So if you're interested in what these things do, but more importantly, how you can use them to do the things you want to do, follow up with one of our coaches at wealthwaltwallstreet.com forward slash free call. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.